From McKinsey's business building practice, Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. Despite ongoing economic uncertainty, businesses are increasingly enthusiastic about creating new ventures, according to McKinsey's latest global survey on new business building. More than 50% of surveyed CEOs cited new business building as one of their top three priorities, unlike the previous two years. And a majority of CFOs see business building as the single most likely strategic action on the corporate agenda. Investors are equally excited, valuing each dollar created in adjacent businesses at 2x the rate of each one generated by the core business. Paul Jenkins, senior partner and global co-leader of Leap by McKinsey, sat down with McKinsey's Thomas Lavoca to discuss the survey's findings, which include a priority on creating green and Gen AI-related businesses, why the current climate favors incumbents, and the need to adopt a portfolio approach to corporate business building. Hey, Paul. Welcome to the venture. Great to have you. Delighted to be here. Let's go straight into it. Paul, I couldn't have missed the latest business building report that we run uh, where we ask over a thousand business leaders on what do they think and why does it matter to go and build new ventures? Now, this has been a year uh, full of headwinds from the macro to uh, real shakedowns uh, from geopolitical. I'm curious, what do we hear from the surveys and how much is business building really top of mind of the leaders? It's the fourth year that we've been doing this. We can track just how have people been feeling about new business building. I think we were all quite waiting with eager anticipation just what was going to be the priority of, of new business building, as you allude to in the, in the current macro environment. And maybe the surprising positive thing is that it's actually increased in terms of the, uh, the priority that, that CEOs are, are putting on it. With over 50% of CEOs globally, new business building is one of their top three priorities. And that wasn't the case last year or even uh, you know, the year before. That's quite surprising, I must say. What is behind it? I think there's really two sort of factors. New business building is successful, but maybe more importantly, it's also truly valued by the markets. We can measure that a dollar of value created in an adjacent business has 2x the multiple of a dollar of value that's created in the core business. And probably that's got something to do with the fact that it's completely new revenue. It's got higher growth, but the market clearly values that additional revenue you are creating. From our own businesses that we've been building, we do see success. We've been privileged to build over 600 businesses with our clients. You don't get 100% success. 90% of them are still around. 70% of them have scaled. But we've created enormous amounts of, of revenue, 20 unicorns, a couple of decacorns. So I think point number one is it's done well. It works. The markets value it. But I think there's one other factor playing in here is because there's less funding around for startups and scale-ups, it's slightly less competitive out there. And so you've got a proposition that is going to work in most cases. It's going to create value that the market likes, but also it's a little bit easier because it's just not quite so competitive out there. That's quite interesting. Amongst the startups, founders, I hear quite a lot in terms of the fundraising winter. It's a little bit of a springtime for the corporate venture builders when they're leveraging uh, their unique assets. So you have a leg up from already the assets, but you also have a less competition because of the, the fundraising. And then the other thing, of course, is the availability of talent, because some of those startups, uh, some of those scale-ups uh, are not getting funding. And that is for the businesses I've been building with my clients, it's so much easier to actually manage to attract sort of really distinctive venture building talent who are willing to give it a go in the corporate environment if the conditions are, uh, are attractive. 
has always been a real challenge and is one of the key success factors of building new ventures. But before we go there, I'm quite keen to hear what types of businesses do the business leaders uh, think or prioritize of building in the upcoming year? Do we have any thoughts on that? We survey every year to see which are the types of businesses people are creating. And it is an interesting sort of shift that we see this year. Probably the first one is not too surprisingly a analytics or gen AI enabled businesses are top of mind for executives to go out and, uh, and create. I don't think we've seen too many of those yet. We've seen people dabble with productivity, gen AI for productivity, for cockpits and software enablement. I don't think we've seen too many of the, the kind of truly disruptive gen AI businesses, but it's definitely top of mind uh, for executives that are thinking about the kind of businesses that they can create. Second thing that's top of mind, particularly in certain regions, such as uh, my own region, Europe, is the whole green business building. I think the funding is still flowing through. I think we're all aware, painfully aware of the need to take action here. And so businesses that are, are associated with sustainability, with carbon capture, these things are, de are definitely still sort of top of mind. The one that's dropping down a little bit in terms of priorities, the whole sort of direct to consumer type businesses. The pandemic saw a huge lift of creating those direct-to-consumer businesses because you had to. It's the only way to reach sort of customers. Maybe many of those have been built, but we see less priority for that type of uh, business these days. And I can imagine the pressure to make the unit economics work for many of the startups are is adding to the pressure that's uh, being put on many of those D2C businesses. The perspective for many investors are, look, D2C is, is a channel. It's not a business per se. Let's make money. But some of those were a lot more demanding from external funding that ultimately runs out. I think that's right in the startup space. In the, I think in the corporate space, many of those have been built. And now I think there's a lot more you can do with them. But when executives are asked about the kind of new businesses they're going to build, they tend to focus more on what does Gen AI enable for me? Depending on the sector, this whole sort of sustainability agenda is clearly still very much top of mind. That makes sense and resonates with what we see on the ground as well. You brought up the example of Gen AI as a digital wealth or digital family office. It's one of the episodes that we just had. We had Caesar Sangupta from Arta Finance, who successfully raised over $90 million and has launched in the space. And he's fairly confident that this is, he's at the frontier of the application. But I think we all agree there's a rising tide and, and the biggest uh, applications are yet to come. You mentioned talent. It's easier to find it. Uh, quote unquote, on the street right now, we all know talent is one of the biggest unlocks. But what are the other ones? You just mentioned that the single biggest one, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a startup or a corporate building an adjacent sort of venture. The single most important factor is to get the right team, a diverse team. We could, diversity matters, but a team of talent that is going to get their hands dirty and really deliver and do things. That is the single most important factor to get that right. And you have a 3x multiple of uh, probability of, of getting to scale with your corporate venture. I think that also goes back to why now, because you can, it's easier to put that corporate venture founder team uh, together. But there are others. There are four others that we see come through as being uh, really critical for success. The first one is the sponsorship. It does need to be CEO stroke board sponsored. That helps to get attention, but it also helps to ensure that we're not just going to fund this for a quarter and then give up because we have to save money. Next one is the bit that many sort of corporates wrestle with is how do you get the right governance in place so that you are 
setting up your venture to be close enough to the corporate so that it can exploit all those competitive advantages that you described earlier on in our discussion. You do need to have access to brand, to customers, to some of the partners. That's the unfair advantage that you have as a corporate. But at the same time, you need to be far enough away such that you can move at the speed and pace that you need that is more sort of startup-like so that you can test and learn so that getting that right is easy to say. It's harder to do, but we see it as, as the third key success factor. This resonates big time. As you said, easier said than done. What I find helpful is actually having the sponsorship uh, really clearly aligned, having a bold CEO who does see the next S-curve within the new business, who does see the two X that you mentioned, and ultimately then is ready to roll up the sleeves and help top down unlock any of the synergies that you need. But at the same time, also be respectful and understanding that you need to build a new culture. You have to be empowered, but not controlled. I've seen uh, sort of really large, respected global names who, who build businesses and just do get this quite fundamentally wrong in terms of you know, the uh, all the policies and procedures of the corporate are sort of smothering this new venture, sort of controls around when you can market, how you can market, you know, even sort of blackout periods in advance of company quarterly results. If there is so many restrictions then you have to that you're going to put on place, then it's almost not worth trying. The magic happens when you get that interplay that you just described. You've got access to all of the unfair advantages, but you're also able to move at a speed and pace. And yes, there's some checks and balances. Iterate your way to product market fit just the same way as the startup would. That's really true. I think at the moment you see building corporate ventures, stepping back and really being clear across the stakeholders that the journey that we are about to embark on will have these dynamics and here is how things will pan out and here is how we will review the progress, how we'll unlock decisions, how we will come to agreements and how we will move on. And if you don't do that in advance, it will bite you back just big time. And one of the ventures that we're building on these principles, we start attracting digital talent and these are your digital natives. And suddenly, out of nowhere, one of the policies from HR came in that uh, the digital talent would have to check in and check out, but literally clock in nine every day and they have to dress up. And it's almost laughable. You just have to plow through many of those roadblocks. I agree. But I, and I think your point is also well made because there are some things that are non-negotiable. You are often making use of these assets, the brand, the customer base. These are things that, that have real value, but you could do damage to them. And so being very clear up front, what are the rules of the road for the new venture? Which customers can they reach out to? How can they reach out to? You know, how are you going to use the brand? Is it going to be the same brand? Or are you going to have a sub-brand? And, and then your point on the, the talent, which is so important. How are we going to think about the compensation packages and the even your, down to your example of what they're going to have to wear? Go through that up front being very clear around what are the things that you can compromise on, what are the things you can't, but also where the value is coming from. And then you avoid a lot of the, the pain sort of later in the process. That's very true. So we covered a few of the five, uh, which I recall you mentioned. So there's the sponsorship. There is the close to the mother, but not too close. What are the other parts? Of course, the talent, which we mentioned, but there is more. There's two more that we that really come through uh, for us loud and clear as, as a real sort of scaling factor. The fourth one is related to the funding. So you do need to manage these ventures differently to how you would manage a project or, or a business unit. You need to think about funding for long enough. No unicorn was ever created in three months or six months. You need to think about, I'm going to fund it for the 12, 18, 24 months that it's going to take to actually uh, to reach uh, scale and to prove success. But at the same time, you need to not write a blank check. 
you need to be funding more like a VC, funding for results, funding for the first MVP, funding for the first thousand customers. So having control over the release of uh, funding and anchoring that and connecting it to success, but being willing to commit up front that you're going to fund for long enough to actually see this through to success. That is a fourth thing. The fifth one is partnerships. They can help you access capabilities that you don't have from the corporate or from the, the corporate venture, uh, but they can also be an incredible, powerful way to reach customers. We do see that a close to 2x multiple of success for companies that very early on think about the potential partners and in particular partners related to that in that go-to-market space. So it's not about doing it all yourself. It really is about how do if I've got something that's truly distinctive, who is there out there who can either bring me capabilities or probably even more importantly, uh, can get me a rapid access to a broader customer base to get out and sell my product and realize success. That's really so true. And it, it brings a bit of a memory. Uh, quite a while back, we spoke to Austin Bryan from CLP Group and his point was, about the backward motion that sometimes the corporate venture builds would do and then trying to reinvent the wheel and just build everything from scratch where you do have a tons of the solutions available within partnerships. From what I've seen, many of the corporate ventures might not do that as a first reaction. They actually do the opposite. I think that's right. That's very different again to what a startup would do. A startup would be more likely to take things off the shelf because they just don't have the money or the time to build it themselves. From the corporate world that you do have money and time to build a lot of your own technology solutions. And so there is more that ingrained thought, well, that's what we're going to do. So I think just challenging that, as you said, and recognizing that there's so many pieces out there that you can partner with, you can just assemble together to get yourself to market very rapidly. I think that, again, is a, another example of these lessons you can take from the startup world that actually apply into the corporate world. There are not just the corporates who are building one venture and giving it their all and then doing everything right. They're also building businesses at scale, i.e. they're building multiple new ventures at the same time with the similar approach as a VC would be funding them. And I know we have quite a few insights on this. What are some of those insights that you could share? First one is that we see more and more companies, maybe because they've achieved success in the first, but more and more companies actually thinking about this as a portfolio and, and thinking that they're going to be, we would call them serial business builders. They're going to create a sort of string of pearls of these new ventures. They're not doing hundreds. They're doing two, three ventures per year, but they do have a much higher success rate. They're building sort of three successful businesses for every unsuccessful one. The other powerful element that they have here is because they think about it as a portfolio, the thing they do is they sh close down or repurpose those that are not succeeding. If you've only got one, I think you're just more likely to keep on going and going and going, even if it hasn't achieved product market fit, even if it hasn't achieved liftoff. And that can be a detriment. Whereas if you are thinking, you know, I've got three this year, I had three last year, maybe out of the six, one of them isn't quite performing. Well, why don't I then double down on the five and think about how I can extract something out of the six? That serial business building, A, it's a, we see more and more companies doing it. B, they seem to be more successful at it, probably because they're also following the success factors. They've learned about it. Uh, but C, part of the reason they're successful is because they are closing things that are or repurposing things that are that are not as successful as they maybe would have liked. And I can imagine closing down, repurposing the ventures that are somewhere halfway on the journey is not easy. This must be really hard. Do you have some war stories and examples where you see the real difficult choices when you might not be 100% sure? There's some traction and maybe just around the corner. What are some of the lessons learned from these moments? 
I think the first one is it just is much easier when you've got a portfolio because, you know, you've still got lots of other things to love. Also, I think it's easier when you've got a portfolio because you recognize that if I manage to take the funding out of, let's, you know, take my sixth example, take the funding away from the sixth that isn't performing, I can then divert it into the other five and just see how much additional growth I could get there. Other key success factor, though, is um, being dispassionate about it, that you are setting these success factors that you want to see. We talked about funding it like a VC. You define what is a successful MVP. You set timelines for when you're going to get a thousand customers or you're going to get 10 million in ARR or you set some very clear operational and financial milestones that you're tracking towards. And of course, you can flex it a little bit, but you are pretty firm in the review against the uh, hitting those. And so that's the second thing that, uh, that helps. Third one, though, is as we start to see that you involve other companies into the venture. There's nothing more powerful than having someone else who's co-invested into some of your ventures because they didn't create it. They are going to be that bit more dispassionate about what you should do with it. For any of us who built businesses, you get so attached to it that you just want it to be successful. And so acknowledging that maybe the money is better spent elsewhere or is always a hard thing to do. You mentioned one thing, and I would like to follow up and connect maybe with our fourth report there. And that is when outside partners come in, this year, we, we are asking not just the thousand venture builders and corporate leaders. We are also ta- asking uh, quite a lot of investors on how they're looking at these corporate venture builders and how they're valuing them. You know, is this something that has value at all, as opposed to startup who are uh, clearly, you know, can be valued from outside and it's more straightforward. What are the lessons learned and the insights that we get this year? This, as you say, this was the first year we did a sort of survey the investor community. I think it's threw up some quite interesting findings. I touched on one of them earlier about the the valuation that uh, investors put on it, the sort of 2x multiple for businesses that are adjacent to the core. And this, I think, companies need to really take to their heart. Investors are very rational. I don't expect to see more than one in three that is genuinely successful, maybe sort of two in three that generate something. That's perfectly understandable and perfectly uh, sort of acceptable. So I think that was the first thing that we found is is that they have that understanding that even with all of those unfair advantages we've been discussing, it's not guaranteed that you're going to be successful as a, as a, with your adjacent corporate venture. The second thing we found that was they were more patient in terms of the time that it takes to become profitable and to reach scale. Uh, corporates will often think that this has got to be, okay, I expect maybe you know, not great in year one, but come on, year two, three. Corp- the investor community understands that it takes at least three, maybe even four years before one of these new businesses becomes truly profitable and starts to generate real returns. And that is absolutely in line with our own research that first year, nothing. Second year, a little bit if you're lucky. Third year, uh, start to see something. Fourth year is when you really see something. But so it was interesting just that, that the understanding that they're not all going to be successful, but also the patience to see uh, the real returns come through. Paul, we've covered quite a ground. I mean, we, we talk about the real results that we're seeing from venture building and whether and how it, it is on top of mind for from the corporate leaders. We're talking about what kind of businesses are right now in the focus and which will be probably built in the next months and years to come. How does success look like? And then practical specifics on the serial business building as well as the investors lens. It's, it's been a very rich conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to add or add on or share before we wrap up? I think maybe just to reiterate some of the key things we're finding, we're finding that despite the macro environment, now is a really 
exciting time to create new businesses. The mega trends are still there. We still have Gen AI and we haven't really worked out what we all the things we can do with it. We still have the need for green business building. And you've got availability of talent that you wouldn't have had before in a less competitive landscape. So it now is the time to think about building a business. Second thing is we have kind of decoded what it takes to be uh, successful. You can set these up in a way that is far more likely to be successful with the sponsorship, the governance model, the funding, etc. And finally, this this recognition that, that just like investors do, help starting to think about this as a portfolio and recognizing that you're going to be more likely to create all that wonderful additional value if you're creating not just a one and putting all your eggs in one basket, uh, but thinking about creating two, three adjacent businesses, all exploiting your unfair advantages, uh, but managing it very much as a portfolio. I think the companies that do all of this are going to create that value, are going to be rewarded in the market. And that's effectively what uh, what our research is, uh, is showing. In spite of the headwinds, the time is now and the time is right Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thomas, thank you for a great conversation. You have been listening to The Venture. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen.